So you can see the title of the series, Proverbs, is Wisdom for All. And we've been talking a lot about wisdom. And so it's always good to go back and back to our definition and review our definition of wisdom. Wisdom just simply means knowing what to do next, given an understanding of the facts. Knowing what to do next. Another way we've talked about it is, hey, there's a problem. We need to design a solution. There's not necessarily a a book like a Lego instruction manual we can just build the blocks accordingly. It's going, okay, this is a complex problem. How can I design a solution for this? And where do we get wisdom? Where does wisdom come from? Well, it comes from the one who is supremely wise, and that is God, the creator of the universe. That's what we believe as Christians, and we see that God has not just left us alone. He's not the supremely wise being who just says, well, figure it out. He says, here is the Bible. Here is my instruction manual for wisdom. This is my word. And as we said, at the heart of the Bible is this book of Proverbs, which is, just gets right, it cuts right to it. Right to wisdom. It has wisdom for all aspects of life. All aspects of life. And we're touching on some of those here this summer. And so if you read Proverbs, you're going to notice there's a lot of consistent themes. Certain themes that just kind of run through the book. It's not necessarily organized by theme. It kind of comes and goes. It's kind of like a tapestry. And today we're going to just look at one of those themes. Money. And all of a sudden there's a bunch of you going, oh no. Isn't that what churches always do? Pastors get up and they talk about money because they just want their money and and they're going to get it from me and it's just going to beat me over the head. And I go, no, we're not doing that. I'm not asking for any money today. This is about you. And as we said, about God's best for you. I think it's interesting, by, by my count, when you count it up, there's about 500 total verses in the whole book of Proverbs. And when you do some analysis, you find that more than a hundred of them are about the topic of money. More than a hundred. A hundred out of five hundred. One out of every five verses. So there's over a hundred and we're going to talk about every single one of them today. I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, we're not doing that. But that's 20%. 20% of Proverbs is about money. 20% of Proverbs is about money. And you might say, okay, why? Why so much? Why so much? Is the Bible like, what's the deal with money? And really, money is a kind of a neutral thing. The Bible treats it really as neutral. It's just, it's a thing that exists. You go, know, wait a second, isn't there something about money and evil? And yeah, that's the love of money is the root of all evil. Not money. Money is just a neutral thing. And so you go, why? Why is there so much here? Well, I've got some statistics for you. Some things to consider about why I think money is so important in the book of Proverbs. So first, we look at the the average worker in America in a career. Any one of you who goes out and and works a job, you're going to work about maybe more than 100,000 hours in your life. That's scary. (laughs) That's a big number, right? And some of you, like Dave was talking about retiring. Dave, you're almost at the end, man. (laughs) You're almost there. Dale, you finished. Good job. No, I don't know. Right? Some of you are just starting. Like, my son just started working at Chick-fil-A. He's 15. It's like, son, there's a long road ahead of you. 100,000 hours of paid work in your lifetime. Some, many more. Now, in Colorado, currently, and I know this because my son works for this, the minimum wage currently is $11.10 an hour, which is a whole lot more than it was when I was his age. (laughs) This seems like a good deal, right? And you go, okay, but who really works at that for 100,000 hours? Nobody. 
Right? But even if you did, if you just said, I'm going to get a minimum wage job and I'm going to work for 100,000 hours of the course of my lifetime, you would have more than $1.1 million flow through you in your life. That's a lot of money. Right? If someone walked up to you and said, here's a million dollars, you'd be like, whoa. Right? All of us would. That's still a lot of money. Most of us are going to earn way more than that in our lifetime. Each of us is going to see multi-millions of dollars flow through us. So, with that in mind, can you see why having some wisdom about money is probably a good thing for us? It's very important. It's very important. Now, here's some more statistics for you about debt. I always want to talk about debt. Do you know, for the average American has this kind of debt. The average American, and you might fall into this, or you might not, and that's okay. This is just statistics. The average American carries... $6,900 balance on their credit card, which is a monthly payment of about 155 bucks a month. They have a mortgage. This is the average American has a mortgage for $185,000, which is $850 a month. We know that's probably not very realistic in Colorado. It's probably much, much higher than that. Particularly anybody who's buying, trying to buy a house right now would say, how can you buy and find a house for that cost? But that's average in the United States. The average American has $28,000 of auto loans, which is $625 a month. The average American has gone to college and has taken out debt to pay for schooling and has $48,000. That's $165 a month. The total debt load there is $267,000. Of course, much higher when your house is more expensive than that or your other things more expensive. That alone, the average American is carrying $1,875 of debt a month. Now, there's been another poll by the Harris Group recently, and it shows that 78%, approximately 78% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And that might be many, many of us in this room. If it's 78%, there's surely many of us who are living paycheck to paycheck. And that means four out of five of us are living without any savings, without anything reserved, just waiting for that check to come so we can pay for whatever it is we need to. You know, it's also estimated that money issues account for more than 40% of all divorces. That's a scary number. And here's what I think is interesting, is if you follow the news, you will hear there's this trend and there's this push, and people, and I think with good hearts and no condemnation for them, there's this push for, oh, we need to have better wages. We need to have living wages. We want that minimum wage to go up. We want people to get paid more, and I think that's a good thing. Yet, we are living in the wealthiest, most prosperous country in the history of the earth. So, is the issue really that there's not enough money? Or is the issue that there's not enough wisdom of what to do with our money? I think it's the wisdom. So when we think back to the Bible, a good exercise for you, if you're the kind of person who carries a hard copy of the Bible and you use it and you don't mind marking in it, go through Proverbs. You know, read a chapter a day or whatever you're going to do. And every time you see a verse on money, put a little dollar sign next to it. And that'll help sort of notate and you'll see in your mind as, as you're reading it, oh, there is a lot there's a lot there about money. And today we're going to cover maybe about 20 of those verses. 20 of those 100 verses on money. Why? Again, because we need wisdom. You know, we could sit down with every single person. Every single person here would have a very different financial situation, different problems, different challenges, different needs. Right? It's not as simple as, hey, just everybody build the same tower out of Legos. We all need to have this wisdom to create in our minds, in our hearts. We need wisdom. 
If you are in the four out of five who are living paycheck to paycheck, there's wisdom for you here in the scripture. If you're in the one of five who says, "Ah, I'm not doing that, I'm managing in this, there's wisdom for you here too as well. In Proverbs 1, we saw that was true. The wise are wise enough to know they still need wisdom. And that would apply with money as well. So here we go. We're going to go into these verses and just see a few points on what this has to say about money. First verse from Proverbs. We're going to talk about Proverbs 13.4. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Is that a great word, sluggard? What is this sluggard? You just think of a slug, right? Well, it just simply means a lazy person. I know that's maybe not part of our vernacular today, but it just means somebody who's lazy. And so here we see in this verse there's a contrast between a lazy person and a diligent person. And I see a couple things to note with that. First off, when we look at this, we go, the diligent person isn't craving. The sluggard is craving, but the diligent person doesn't have any cravings. Or at least it's not talking about their cravings. And why is that? Why does the diligent person not have the cravings? Ooh. When you're hard at work, your appetite for things decreases because you're hard at work and you're busy. Your attention doesn't wander. You don't get bored. It's one of the great things I love for my son working this summer is I go, well, he's you know working 20 to 25 hours a week. That's a whole lot less hours for him to get bored, right? I think that's a good thing for all of us. The second thing I see from this passage is that we have to see where does our supply come from. It says, the diligent is richly supplied. Supplied from where? Well, we get the answer in Philippians chapter 4 verse 19. My God will supply every need of yours. According to his riches and glory. Where does our supply come from? It comes from God. So we connect the dots that the soul of the diligent is richly supplied by God. God supplies it. God supplies it. So can you see that connection? There's a connection here between hard work and God's supply for you. It's reinforced there in Proverbs chapter 14 verse 23. In all toil there is profit. But mere talk tends only to poverty. Again, we're kind of looking at laziness here, right? There's laziness going on. Another way we can describe laziness is mere talk. A big talker. Just a big talker, but not doing anything. And you could see how even this sort of call to not be lazy applies beyond your work. It applies in your life. Don't be lazy in the things that you're doing in your home and your life. Have you ever known somebody who's all talk and no action? Isn't it like annoying? <laughs> At some point you're like, okay, I'm not listening to you and I'm really not believing what you're saying because it's just mere talk because you're just listening. And so you think about that and you go, okay, that behavior, that behavior of big talk and no action, does that honor God or does that dishonor God? Dishonors God. And so what's our application from these verses? Is our, our application is this. Financial success does depend upon hard work and laziness. Dishonors the Lord. See, Proverbs is just telling us. It's very simple. It's very clear. It says, hey, wisdom is work hard and don't be lazy. It's very simple. Another verse we can look at here is Proverbs 21.20. Precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. A foolish man devours it. So, precious treasure and oil. Hmm. 
That's interesting. What is that? Well, treasure is probably obvious, right? I think we all have things that we treasure, um, things that are good. And oil, if you don't understand that, I know we've talked about that before. Oil was a a significant thing in biblical times. It was something that was used for fuel, for lighting flames. It was used for cooking. It was used for health purposes. It was considered a blessing and a necessity in life. And so we look at this verse and we go, okay, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling. Why? Why are they in a wise man's dwelling? Why are they there? They didn't just sort of magically appear, computer, give me oil and treasure, right? No, they're there for a reason. They show up. Why? Because the wise man was wise with what he had and he worked hard. And he had some plans. And so then we'd say, okay, why aren't precious treasure and oil in the fool's house? I've got the wise man's house and the fool's house. Why aren't they in the fool's house? Well, it says, because he devours it. He devours this. It's good to know that this is a timeless truth, right? It's good to know, like, I think we all know, maybe some of us have experienced that in our own life, and we go, oh, we get new things and we just consume them, and we know people who are just on and consuming and consuming, and it's good to know, hey, in biblical times, people were doing the same thing. There's a recent study that shows that 90% of Americans use credit cards to buy what they can't afford. 60% don't pay it off each month. And when you don't do that, on average, it makes each item cost 15% more than what you're already paying for it. And 70% of bankruptcies cite credit cards as the reason. Credit cards, when used this way, to buy on credit, to buy what you can't afford in most situations, is just devouring your resources. So how do we combat this? It's our application is to know where your money goes and control your expenses. Just knowing where it goes. How many of us go, hey, I make money and then I spend it and I don't know where it goes. I don't know where it came from. I, I don't know what's going on. I know that was our, our experience. My wife and I were the first year we were married. And I look back and I go, wow, you know, now we've got six kids and you know, we only have my income. And I go, wow, that was like the one time in life we had two incomes. And yet, we got to the end of that year, and I scratched my head, and I was like, where's all the money? Like, our, our balance, it, it's the same. Like, what, what happened? Because I didn't know where it was going. I just devoured it and devoured it. I didn't control our expenses. And so that's a lesson, I think, for all of us, is that, hey, Proverbs gives us this, uh, this wisdom. It says, be aware. Be aware of just where it's going. Know where it's going, and have some control on your expenses. All right, Proverbs 21.5 says, The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. That sounds good. I like abundance in my life. Everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So I think this goes along with that concept of knowing where your money goes, but I think it goes a step further. It's not just knowing where it goes. And you get to the end of the month, oh, well, I spent it all on that other stuff that I didn't really need, but at least I know it went there. Well, that's okay, at least you know, but there's more. In this verse, we see that there's a need to have a plan, right? If you're familiar with John Maxwell, he said a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. So how do we do that? We have a budget. A budget is simply this, living within your means. It's a plan for knowing where it goes. 
And what's one way we live outside our means? Well, we talked about it before. It's getting into debt. This verse in Proverbs, the verses in Proverbs 6. He says, My son, if you've put up security for your neighbor, have given your pledge for a stranger, if you're snared in the words of your mouth, caught in the words of your mouth, then do this, my son, and save yourself, for you have come into the hand of your neighbor. Go, hasten, and plead urgently with your neighbor. Give your eyes no sleep and your eyelids no slumber. Save yourself like a gazelle from the hand of the hunter, like a bird from the hand of a fowler. And now I know he's talking in the uh, symbolism there. But according to this verse, I think we can see how seriously should we take being in debt and getting out of debt. Who's very serious? We need to be very serious about being in debt and getting out of debt. Now, who here thinks that living on a budget is a lot of fun? If you go, hey, that's the most fun thing. I just want to... Oh, Rob does. That's good. Yeah, he's, Rob's an engineer, so we can give him that, yeah. <laughs> No, it, it, it's not. Maybe eventually it can be, but at first you're going, oh, this is not fun. I just want to spend money on whatever I feel like in the moment. But I tell you what's less fun is being in bondage to debt. That's way less fun than being on a budget. And so that's our application here is have a financial plan. Proverbs gives us this wisdom. He says, know your resources. Know what you have and know where it's going, but also plan for the present and plan for the future. You go, okay, great, have a financial plan. How do I do that, Greg? (laughs) Well, that's a good question, too. Well, that's part of what we want to offer here as a church. If you need help, I know there's there's a certain amount of humility required to go to somebody and say, hey, I kind of need some help with this. But we see ourselves as a family, and we see ourselves as a place where we go, hey, do you need some help with this? We would love to help you with this. I would, Brad would, basically there's a number of people, your gospel group leaders, others here who have done Dave Ramsey and other things who would love to just come alongside you and help you come up with a financial plan. Because we realize every single person's story, every single person's situation is a little bit different. And we don't just want to offer one broad thing. We want to be able to come alongside you. And so that's my encouragement to you. If you need help, if you say, man, I I don't know how to have a financial plan or I've tried one and it's not really working, come to us and we'll get you set up. We'll try to come alongside you and help you with that. Another verse, Proverbs 13, 11. It says, Wealth gained hastily will dwindle, but whoever gathers little by little will increase it. Wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Is this true? Like sometimes you read a scripture and you go, Is that really true? Wealth gained hastily will dwindle? Doesn't seem like it. I'd really like to win the lottery and get a whole bunch of money, right? That seems great. But I think there's something implied here, and that implication is that maybe that doesn't actually work. Maybe it doesn't actually work. And there's a lot of data on this, and I was just reading an article, and this is recent information. Go back to the the National Basketball Association, the NBA. The data shows that 60% of NBA players go broke within five years of finishing their career in the league. And then it gets worse. When we get to the NFL, football, 78% of NFL players are bankrupt or under serious financial stress within two years of retiring. And we look at those guys, and they're super talented. They have physical gifts. You ever seen a basketball player stand there, his arms, and you go, whoa, his hands are huge, and football players are big. It's really cool. They've almost won the lottery. 
They've almost won the lottery with their talents, with their gifts, with their abilities, with the coaching that they've had, their circumstances, their parenting, all that kind of stuff. They've almost won the lottery. And so you say, why do you suppose the trend is for these guys who make a lifetime salary of money in a few years, why do they go broke? They're making money in a few years that, like we showed, it's going to take us our entire life for it to flow through us. It's like they've hit the lottery. Why do they go broke? Well, it's not because somebody steals it from them. It's not because they lost it. It's because there's not a wisdom. And they don't know how to say no. They don't know how to say no. They don't know how to say no to stuff and luxuries. There's lots of people who are making requests on them. Businesses come to them. I was hearing one athlete talk about it this week. And he was saying, oh, people come to you and they're like, oh, you got money, invest in my idea. And you get all this pressure put on you. And and they don't know how to say no. So we look back at God's word and we say, wealth gained hastily will dwindle. Do we trust God's word when it says that's true? I want to trust God's word that that's true. I think the heart of this verse, the heart of this verse is that we need to have control. We need to have control of our financial appetites and be able to say no regardless of how much money we have. Regardless of what we have, we need to be able to say no and curb our appetites. We can look at Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 to 11. It says, Go to the ant, O sluggard, consider her ways. Here we are back at the sluggard, right? Be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, the ant prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O lazy person? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands of rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. So who made the ants? God did, right? God made the ants. He made the ants. And according to the Bible, who's going to care for them? God is, right? He cares for all the animals. He cares for his creation. But he has a lesson here for us. He has a lesson for us in the ants. He wants us to gather little by little. Why? Because he wants us to be prepared. He wants us to be prepared because the only certainty in life aside from death is taxes. But you can cheat on your taxes. (laughs) The only certainty besides death is uncertainty. And so we need to be prepared. God's calling us to be prepared. And so there's a lesson from Proverbs here that we need to curb our financial appetites and being prepared. Give you one, another statistical example. I don't have it on the screen. I'll just read it to you. We went back to that, oh, auto loans. And suppose you go out and you go, all right, we need two cars. And I kind of like nice cars. I like to drive nice things and look nice. And I go around town. Let's say you go out and you get two nice auto loans at $675 a month. Okay, all right, two cars, is nice. Well, after 40 years of doing that, because you just have to keep doing that and go from car to car, and you can't curb your financial appetite, after 40 years, you will spend $324,000 on your cars, which is a lot of money. On the other hand, if you say, well, I kind of need two cars, and so I'm going to kind of, you know, I'll I'll get one very sort of modest car, and then the other one I'm just going to scrimp and save and buy very used, and it'll probably look like Pastor Greg's car. It looks like a golf ball with all the hail dents on it and the bullet holes on the side. That's fine. You could be like that, and you're going, okay, it's 200 bucks a month. 
and you say, okay, instead of 675 bucks, I'm going to spend 200 bucks. I'm going to take the 475 bucks, and I'm going to invest it. And you invest it in the, mar- in the market at 8%. Your net difference between that 324 and what you'll make is $1.6 million in four years. You see how the difference is there in your financial appetite? Oh, I could drive these nice things and have these nice things and look really nice and feel really cool. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Curbing our appetites makes us be able to consider the ways of the ants. It's wisdom. The Bible tells us that's wisdom. We go on here to Proverbs 13.7. It says, One pretends to be rich and yet has nothing. Another pretends to be poor and yet has great wealth. Right? So there's this scenario made in this verse, right? You have one person who's going, Oh, yeah, I got credit cards. And they're spending and they're driving up that debt and they're getting all these nice things and they have nice stuff. And everybody goes, Ooh, that person has got all this stuff. But what do they really own? They own nothing. They just have all this debt and someday it's going to come due. On the other hand, you have somebody who does have a bunch of money and they live on a tight budget. And they live simply, and they have curbed their appetites. Now, from appearances, the first might appear to be wealthy, but which one is actually wealthy? It's the second one. The second one has the wealth. And so who should we aspire to be like? The Bible tells us be like the second person. Be like that person. And we think about aspirations. I think we need to have a serious heart check as Christians. And say, what is our goal? What is our goal? Is our goal to be wealthy? Is that our goal? I don't think it is. I think our goal, Jesus told us what our goal should be in Matthew 25. He says, your goal should be this, to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. That should be our goal. Not the accumulation of wealth. And so if that's where you're at today, I just encourage you, reorient your heart. This verse talks about stewardship, of saying, wow, God has entrusted me with this. I want to be a good steward of this. So reorient your heart towards stewardship and away from pursuing wealth. So a practical application of this is to just pay off debt aggressively. I understand, I myself, in my own life, there's things where you go, ah, I get into debt because I have to do, there's certain things I need to do, but I'm going to be wise about doing it, and I'm going to be aggressive about getting out of it. And whatever I do, I'm going to save, and I'm going to do it methodically, just like those ants, little by little by little. And again, this goes hand in hand with having a financial plan. And if there's some way we can help you and come alongside you and offer you suggestions and advice and prayer and counsel and support and doing that, we want to do that as a church. Okay, so now you've probably been listening, and a number of you, right, are probably sitting here going, hey, this is all great, Greg, but I've, I've done all this stuff. I've done this. And believe me, I, I know most of you, and I know that most of you, almost all of you, are hard workers. You're not lazy. You're aware of your money and where it's going. You have and stick to a budget. 
If you're like Rob, you like a budget, you think it's fun, you've curbed your financial appetites, you're paying off your debt, and you're saving for the future methodically, little by little. And so hopefully all of that that I just said is just a refresher for you. And I want it to be an encouragement that, hey, you're doing the right thing. You're on the right track. This is good. The Bible says do this and you're doing it. Be encouraged. Keep after it. But I think also there's one more thing we want to watch out for when it comes to how we manage our money. There's one more thing. Proverbs 11:28 says, Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. And so what is the biggest danger for those of us who have success at managing our money and end up becoming wealthy? What's the biggest danger? This verse says the biggest danger is we'll start trusting in that wealth. We'll start trusting in that money. And that really means the biggest danger is our pride. We can pridefully place our trust in what we have and in our money. And this proverb shows us that trust in our money is not going to end well. If that's where my hope is, if that's where my security is, it's not going to end well. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall. There's no maybe. They will. So where should our trust be instead? Proverbs tells us that as well in chapter 18, verses 10 and 11. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and and is safe. And then it goes on. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. So where should our trust be? According to this verse, our trust should be in the Lord alone. And what is money? If we think money is our safe, our stronghold, our safe tower, it doesn't say that. It says it's an imaginary wall. Just sort of build it up in your mind. If, oh, I'm so safe because I have all this money. That is wrong. There's no wisdom in that. So how do we trust? How can we not trust in our money? How can we place our trust in the right way? Well, it's, it's holding our money and dealing with our money the way God would have us do it. And God's wisdom is that you would have as you have it and as you work through all of those things and you go, yeah, I'm following that wisdom. And God brings that blessing into your life to go, wow, I should invest it. I should enjoy it. And I should give it away. And I should hold it loosely. That's the best way to not trust in money, is to hold it loosely. And we have an opportunity for those of you who have done all this, and you go, wow, God has really brought this blessing into my life, and it's not my security. I want to make sure that I'm not walking into a place where I'm trusting in my riches, and I want to give it away. Realize, God has appointed you for very specific purposes. I love this quote from good old Margaret Thatcher. She said, no one would remember the Good Samaritan if he'd only had good intentions. He had money as well. And I think every single one of us would say, I would, I would like to be a good Samaritan. I would like to be able to come alongside people and help and give and be generous. But it takes laying that foundation and wisdom. That's what it takes. And so if you find yourself in that one out of five who've worked hard, you've managed well, you've honored the Lord, I just want to remind you that He has given you the tremendous opportunity to be generous. And I want to encourage you to hold it loosely because when we hold it loosely, when we give it away, it's going to keep us from veering into that place where we can be prideful and say, ah, thy money is my security. And Proverbs tells us not to do that. 
So as we close here, I just want to share a couple of things because you, Proverbs isn't the only place that talks about money. In fact, Jesus himself talked about money. And he said a couple of things. I want to share a couple of things that he said. First one from Luke chapter 14, verse 28. Jesus said, Which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? I think Jesus is reinforcing those words of Proverbs saying, Hey, pursue wisdom. Pursue good decision making. Think about things ahead of time. Think about your money. Think about your resources. Aim to honor God with them. The second thing he says, Matthew sixteen twenty six: What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul? I don't want to forfeit my soul. I don't want to be wealthy and forfeit my soul. I want to honor God with it. And so that's my encouragement to you today as we close on this journey. Keep your heart tuned to Christ, to what Jesus said, to what the Proverbs say, to the mission and calling for us. Hey, there's wisdom here in the scripture. It's not my wisdom, it's God's wisdom. Let's aim after God's wisdom for our money. I'll go ahead and pray and we'll close. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that you've given us wisdom for money. Lord, I think back to my week here and I go, wow, there's a number of interactions between me and money, (laughs) resources and planning and and budgets and spending and needs and wants and debt and all that. Lord, I go, wow, it it rolled into my world this week and it'll roll into my world the next week and the week after that and the week after that. And I know I'm not any different than anybody else who's sitting here. So God, thank you for giving us wisdom. Thank you for giving us direction. And God, I know because money is such a part of our life, Lord, I know this can be a very sensitive thing. And God, it's my hope and prayer that the words, your words this morning from Scripture, Lord, if they poke into sensitive places, Lord, that we would not take offense, but we would just turn to you and say, Hey, God, I, I hear you speaking here. What would you have me do, Lord? And as a church, God, it's really our heart to not be condemning and not be directing and not be demanding, but just to be loving be resourcing. God, we remember again that how we manage our money and how we uh, try to honor you with that has nothing to do with whether we're going to spend eternity with you or be right with you, but it has everything to do with your best for our life and walking in the paths you've laid out for us. So God, help us, each one of us, wherever we're at on this journey, spiritually and financially, God, pray that we would open our eyes and see you meeting us right there. Lord, help us to walk it out as individuals, as families, as couples, as a church. God, I pray that this group of people, this family, would be honoring to you with the resources you're flowing through us. Thank you again for your wisdom, for the word, for your son Jesus who saves us. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.